Today's reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your ancestors, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, one does not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went about and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The Gospel of Christ. Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak and reveal yourself to us. We pray then in light of that truth that I as preacher would get out of the way. Far less of me, far more of you. That your people gathered this morning would be edified in your son, Jesus glorified. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please?
And Jesus, full of the Spirit, knew exactly how to navigate life with wisdom and confidence. No, no, that's, that's not what it says. And Jesus, full of the Spirit, was continually caught up in peace, love, joy, and groovy feelings. No, that's not what it says either. And Jesus, full of the Spirit, was empowered to heal, to restore, to renew. No, not what it says either. And Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Is that really what it says? Indeed it is. It doesn't make any sense though. It's confounding. Jesus has just been baptized, affirmed, commissioned, empowered by his Father for his earthly work. And the first thing that the Spirit does is lead him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. It makes no sense. What possible purpose does this have in Jesus' life? What possible relevance does it have for us as his followers? Well, Luke leaves us a whole host of detail to guide us. Jesus has just been baptized. He enters into the wilderness. He's there for 40 days. His responses to the tempter are all taken from a small section of the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 6 through 8, where the author is summarizing Israel's 40 years in the desert. Luke is telling us, the Holy Spirit telling us, that if you want to know what this moment in Jesus' life is all about, we've got to look at Israel in the desert. You see, the Israelites had been rescued by God from slavery in Egypt, brought out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. They had come through baptism in the Red Sea. They'd crossed the Sinai Desert, and they come to the border of the Promised Land. And they send in spies. And every single group of spies comes back overwhelmed by what they have beheld. This is a land fertile and flowing with milk and honey, but the people seem to be as giants, walled cities, military superiority. But only one group comes back, Joshua and Caleb, to say, yes, these people seem as giants, but the Lord has promised that he's with us. And so let's press in and step into his promises. But the people rebel, saying, who is this God who brings us out of slavery in Egypt only to kill us in the desert. We had it better back in Egypt. And so God leads them back into the desert for 40 years. Why? And that section that Jesus quotes from, from Deuteronomy, answers. To humble them. To test them. To refine them. To bring them to trust in God alone. Motivated by love and for their sake. You see, the Greek word here translated temptation is the word parasmos. It had two very, very different meanings. It could either mean test or tempt. To test was to prove and so improve a person's character. To tempt was to entice them to sin, to bring them down in some way. How is it then that a word 
could have two vastly different meanings. Wouldn't it be better to just have two different words? Well, parasmos actually referred to the challenging situation in life that could either be a test, proving an improving character, or a temptation, an enticement to sin. And whether that circumstance, that parasmos, was test or temptation depended on who was behind it and the response to it. Let me give an example. A situation that I would suspect that every single one of us here in this room has likely faced at least once this week, whether at home or at work or in a relationship. You've done something that has caused harm to another. And when faced with it, you're left with one of two choices. One, you could take a path to repentance and reconciliation. You could say, I did that. I hurt you. Sorry about that. How do we move forward from this together? There would be a test that would prove and improve character. Or two, we can't bear the thought of admitting our wrong. And so we justify. We make excuses. Or we blame shift. Or we go silent. And as a result, we can't move forward. And the relationship begins to erode. That would be temptation, bringing us down in some way. Parasmos is that difficult life situation that either tests, proves and improves character, or attempts, it entices us to sin. And whether that circumstance is test or temptation depends on who's behind it and our response to it. And what Luke, what the Holy Spirit is telling us by using this word is to say that the Spirit led Jesus, as God had led Israel, into the desert to test him, to prove and improve call and character. But the devil desired to use those same circumstances to tempt, to drag him down in a certain way. Now, you may not realize this, but we pray into this reality every single Sunday that we gather. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or more accurately, deliver us from the evil one. And when we're praying that, we're essentially saying, Lord, as I navigate this parasmos, the circumstances of life, may it be used by your Spirit to test, to prove and improve. May it not be used by the devil to entice me to sin. To drag me down in some way. I know many of you might be thinking here this morning, oh come on now. The devil? Aren't we past such superstitious nonsense? We have enough biological, sociological, psychological explanations for the existence of evil. We don't need the supernatural. We don't need a cosmic scapegoat. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it would be in no way rooted in Christian understanding. But a biblical worldview would say, as we seek to live into the new life Jesus has won for us, to live in step with the patterns of his kingdom, we're going to need to deal with three things. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We're going to have to deal with the world. The impact of others around us, our culture, the way that our society as a whole lives out of step with the way of Jesus. We're going to have to deal with the world. We're going to have to also deal with our flesh. Those ingrained desires in us that are out of step with the way of the Spirit. Be it pride or 
self-absorption or self-centeredness. We're going to have to deal with our flesh. But we're also going to have to deal with the devil, the accuser, the liar, the deceiver, who seems to operate at the level of our thinking. Now, if you have been following along that challenge to read the Bible as a community over the year, you've already seen this. If you've read Genesis, this devil comes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say you shouldn't eat of that tree? If you eat of that tree, it's going to be good for you. God's holding out on you. He's not good. He doesn't love you. Or if you're doing the blue plan, you've gone through Job and the devil comes to Job and says, you don't really love God. You only love the good things that you think God has given you. The devil seems to operate at the level of our thinking, accusing, lying, deceiving, undermining trust in God. Now, how might you personally experience this? Well, let me give an example that might resonate. In a moment of temptation, you might have thoughts swimming around in your head. Ah, it's not all that bad. It's not going to hurt me or anyone else. And besides, you know, God's a forgiving God, full of grace. It's playing down God's holiness in favor of his forgiveness. And so we give in to the temptation, and then a whole host of other thoughts begin swirling around in our heads. How could you do that? How could you call yourself a Christian when you do that? Keep doing that. God won't forgive you for that. Playing down the forgiveness of God in favor of his holiness. And shame and condemnation begin to swirl. That very well may be the devil operating at the level of our thoughts. The enemy of our souls operating in lies and half-truths, undermining our understanding, our trust in God. Don't believe in a devil? Okay. I don't think you need to, to grasp the truth and help that this text has to offer us. But as we continue to go through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see Jesus time and time again encounter the forces of darkness. And so might I just invite you to stay open to what Jesus' victory over the forces of darkness might mean for you, for your life, for our world. Jesus, full of the Spirit, is led into the wilderness, into parasmos. A life circumstance that the Spirit desires would be used to test, to prove and improve his call and character. But the devil desires to use to entice him, to drag him down. Now the temptation that we see in this text is unique to Jesus. It reveals to us more and more of who he is. But in his response, it also reveals how we might ensure that our parasmos, whatever it might be, would be test and not temptation. So first, how do these temptations reveal to us Jesus? Well, last week, Karen took us through the baptism of Jesus. As Jesus comes up out of the water, and the heavens open, the Spirit descends as a dove, and a voice is heard to say, this is my beloved Son. I'm pleased with him. It's a glorious affirmation from his father of his sonship, but he's also quoting scripture. This is my beloved son is a quote from Psalm 2. 
It's a messianic psalm speaking of a Messiah who will come, who will reign over the earth with peace and justice. In whom I'm well pleased is a quote from Isaiah 42, where Isaiah begins to speak of a suffering servant. And at the close of that section come those famous words, he was bruised for our iniquities, crushed for our transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed. His father here is not only affirming him in those words, he's commissioning him. You are a Messiah king, suffering servant. You will bring about a kingdom of peace and justice through laying down your life for the sake of others. And every single one of Satan's temptations seeks to chip away at the heart of that call. If you are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. In other words, use your power for your own sake to serve your own needs. But Jesus never, ever used his power to serve himself. He was always laying it down for the sake of others. And so he responds, no, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. In other words, I'm going to trust my Father here for provision. And in that response, parasmos becomes test, proving, improving his call, his character. The devil next takes him up to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the earth in but an instant. All of this is mine to give to you. Just bow down and worship me. Now how can Satan call all the kingdoms of the earth his own to give? Well, to some degree, have not all the kingdoms of the earth been established, preserved by the means of Satan? Conquest, fear, oppression, injustice, death. To receive such would be to affirm the means by which it was attained. And Jesus says, no, I will not serve and worship you. Serve your way. I will worship and serve the Lord alone. And in that response, parasmos becomes test. Proving and improving his call, his character. Next, the devil takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. Why there? Well, at the time, there were all kinds of people claiming to be the Lord's Messiah. And so they had debates to try and discern if the real Messiah came along, how would we know? And so they developed all these extra-biblical tests. And one of them was, the Lord's Messiah will be able to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and live. The devil takes him up there and says, you could win the hearts of the people Simply by doing this. But on that pinnacle, Jesus would have the city of Jerusalem and all the surrounding area laid out in front of him. And I wonder how much he knew of what was coming next. Did he know that down there in that house in the upper room, a friend would betray him? Did he know that down there in that valley in a grove of olive trees, he would agonizingly sweat drops of blood as he considered what was coming? Did he know that there in that courtyard he would be flogged, beaten, a 
the crown of thorns pressed down upon his head? Did he know he would walk up that road with the beam of a cross on his shoulders, being mocked and spit upon by a jeering crowd? Did he know that there on that distant hill he would breathe his last, cruelly nailed to a cross? Did he know? Did he know? And at that point, Satan begins to twist Scripture. I see that you're rooted in your identity as Messiah. And isn't Psalm 91 all about you? About the king of the line of David that the Lord will protect? Protect even from stubbing his toe? So why then are you facing all of this? No, no, says Jesus. There's no kingdom without a cross. I lay hold of a new future by way of suffering and death. A death for those I love. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And in that response, parasmos becomes test. Proving and improving his call, his character. We see here Jesus gloriously revealed. But in his responses, we also see how our parasmos, whatever they might be, is test and not temptation. For every single one of Jesus' responses is Scripture. He roots his response in God's story. But how is it that Scripture enables our parasmos to be test and not temptation? How is it? David Brooks, a Toronto-born journalist and now columnist for the New York Times, wrote an opinion piece about a decade ago on temptation. And in it, he said that it used to be that hundreds of years ago, people thought you could just resist temptation by saying no. Just say no to greed, to sloth, to lust, whatever it is. But if saying no, if willpower were enough, then most of our New Year's resolutions here would still be intact. Today, it's more common to think of resisting temptation as changing our ingrained habits, interrupting the cue, routine, reward process. Be kind of like leaving your workout clothes at the foot of your bed before you go to bed at night, so the first thing you do when you get up is see your clothes, it triggers you to go for that run. But Brooks says even that's insufficient because it lacks a true understanding of human behavior. For our habits are burned into us by emotion, and they're fortified by strong yearnings. The yearnings to be loved, to be accepted, to be affirmed. I mean, reflect on the things we immediately think of when we consider temptation. Tempted to have an affair? Is it really about the sex? Only secondarily. Is it not about the strong desires to be known, to be loved? To be affirmed, tempted to cook the books, cheat on our taxes? Is it really about the money? Only secondarily. Is it not about the strong yearning to feel safe in the face of an unknown future that we believe money will give us? Or to be seen as successful? Or to have the money to give the things to ourselves that bring us joy and comfort? 
tempted to manipulate the truth? Isn't it rooted in our strong yearnings to be seen a certain way by others, to protect reputation, to avoid consequence and preserve comfort? Given that, Brooks concludes his article by saying, if you want to see victory over temptation, it's going to come from a commitment to a global belief that addresses those deep heart yearnings. And Jesus points to that reality every single time he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Each time he quotes from that small section of Deuteronomy, retelling the 40-year story of Israel's time in the desert, and buried right in the heart of that passage, right at its center, is our first reading. The global story that he wanted Israel wants us to hold on to. That we are chosen, beloved, delighted in, Our God is faithful to us. He has promised to preserve us for a glorious future. It's the global belief that we're invited into that ultimately is pointed to in who we are in Jesus. John Owen affirms this when he writes in his book on temptation, the greatest preservative against the power of temptation is to keep the heart full of a sense of God's love for us in Jesus. You see, temptation will come to us and say, you need this to be loved. You need this to be accepted. You need this to be recognized. And so love to protect your reputation. Let go of that conviction in order to be accepted. Cut that corner in order to be successful. Jesus invites us here to press into those temptations. The gospel. The good news, the story of his glorious love for us in Jesus. Tempted to lie to protect our reputation. He has seen what you've done, will do, are doing, and he's taken all of that to the cross. And he gives you his perfect record in return. He delights and treasures you. Only his view of you will carry eternal weight. Tempted to manipulate in order to be recognized. In Jesus, you have recognition beyond compare. He left heaven for you. Died a death for you. Recognized you as daughter, as son, as heir of his glorious future. What more recognition could you want? Tempted to let go of that conviction in order to be accepted. The one who had every reason to reject you has accepted you in Jesus. The greatest preservative against the power of temptation is to keep the heart full of a sense of God's love in Jesus. A commitment to a global belief that addresses our deepest yearnings. And it will be that that will turn your parasmos, whatever it might be, from test, from temptation rather, to test. Proving and improving character. Forming in you the way of Jesus. Shaping you to live in step with his kingdom. And so let us now take a moment of prayer and ask the Spirit to press that truth 
down into our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your Son, Jesus, taught us to pray. That you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we go through our own parasmos, whatever it might be, we ask that your Spirit indeed would use it to test us. To prove and improve character. To shape in us the way of Jesus. We also ask that same Spirit to deliver us from the evil one who seeks to use that parasmos to test, to tempt, to drag us away, to entice us to sin. By that same Spirit, root us in the gospel story that we are loved, treasured, delighted in, forgiven. May we keep our heart full of a sense of your love for us in Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.